Live from the next cast, Phanthropological Institute. Stop me if you heard this one. Robert Baratheon walks into a boar. Today we're talking about Game of Thrones fans. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Phanthropological. My name is Nick G, and thank you very much to James for that submission for the cold open on Facebook. Today, we are going to be talking about fans of Song of Ice and Fire and or Game of Thrones. Here with me to do that are my two best friends, Nick T. Uh, I was going to do the Are You Ready, but I I already did that in the pre-show. So, um, hi. Hello. I'm Nick. (laughs) And Nick Z. Hey, I'm Nick Z, uh, but you might also know me as uh, as the Sword of the Morning. Uh, you know, uh, maybe you've heard of me. I don't know. And uh, joining us, a very special guest for this episode, is host of the podcast, Nice and Fire. I'm in. Hi, everyone. Uh, glad to be here and looking forward to this podcast. Amazing. I mean, don't undersell it, G. If I'm not mistaken, I'm in. That is an award-winning podcast. <laughs> I have heard that. That's right. We uh, won uh, the first uh, Geeky Awards, I think, back 2013 cool that's pretty impressive there's only one first (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. do they call you the professor uh i guess i mean uh, of the we have four hosts on the podcast now we started with seven initially and then gradually lost people over time people who got hit by trees some of them died out yeah tree hit somebody's house (laughs) (laughs) others disappeared or got drafted so now, now we have four and i'm the quote professor of the group what gobsmacked me when I first heard about your podcast was when you did a uh, panel with the other two next to North. Is that you began it before uh, Game of Thrones, the show, began? That's right. Even before it was uh, considered, uh, I, I'm, I think, I'm trying to think if it was, no, maybe it was being pitched around that time, but uh, it was definitely mired in the book side of the fandom because there's two branches of the fandom, the book side and then the show side. Uh, was that just after Feast for Crows? Uh, it was a couple of years after Feast for Crows where we, we realized it was going to be a long wait again for the next book. <laughs> Even though Feast for Crows said next year the book's going to be out, but <laughs> that's not the way it turned out. Yeah. <laughs> so you need something to fill the gap, fill the hole in your heart that would be there for three more years. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, the first book was published in 96, but it was really 2000 or later when the fandom started building up on the internet and the theories started getting going, and especially with Feast for Crows. There was a big group of book nerds looking for discussions and things to pass the time. Cool. I think that's as good a point as any to dive into kind of the fandom facts about uh, Game of Thrones fandom. Fandom facts. So talking fandom facts, talking about Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire, you know, what is it in case you didn't know? I'm going to give you some background just to get us going. Game of Thrones is an American fantasy drama television adaptation of George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire epic fantasy novels. Uh, for the purposes of this podcast, we're probably going to use both of them interchangeably. No disrespect to anybody who's a fan of one or the other. As Amin had mentioned, the first book of the uh, A Song of Ice and Fire series of books was published in 1996. Since then, four other volumes have been released, with a total of seven volumes planned. Uh, I got this information from Wikipedia, so if I am wrong, somebody tell me. The series follows the adventures of a wide cast of different characters on the continents of Westeros and Essos. Though there are many different perspectives, the books and TV show follow three main plot lines. An epic war among several families for control of Westeros. The rising threat of the Others to the North. 
and the ambition of Daenerys Targaryen, the deposed king's exiled daughter, to assume the Iron Throne. The books have sold over 60 million copies worldwide, have been translated into 47 different languages, have been adapted into comics, card games, board games, video games, and the television show, of course. Mm-hmm. The show, which first aired in 2011, three years after a podcast of Ice and Fire was started. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> has won 38 Emmys, is the most pirated TV series since 2012. Wow. For the first time in forever, when I looked at the Google Trends data, uh, Game of Thrones is one of the few fandoms we will talk about that is more popular today than it ever has been. Hmm. Was it in waves? Oh, yes, definitely. (laughs) Relative to the seasons, yeah. Um, Very periodic. Every uh, year there's like a spike and then it comes down and then a spike and then it comes down. Fair enough. Uh, have you noticed big changes in the fandom, I mean? Yeah, especially when the show first came out, there was that initial rush, and then the last couple seasons as well. Uh, we have a lot of people that came to the show, and then they moved on to the books. Like, our podcast covers both, but we're still mostly books-focused, and then the show definitely brought a lot of people that then moved on to the books. Well, that's kind of what I did. I watched the first season, and I cop on the second season, and I'm like, oh, I got another year. <laughs> I better read the books, right? I feel like a lot of people have taken that path to the books. And once the books are out, you can listen to a podcast device and fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Interesting that you mentioned getting into the books after the TV series, because I found a survey from uh, a time capsule device and fire, very common naming trend, as we can see, <laughs> <laughs> that asked fans of the books, the TV show, uh, both, neither. What was the year that you got into the television series? They asked a lot of different questions, but one of them was, when did people get into the TV series. And apparently the largest group of people got into the TV series in 2014, which I guess would be the third season. Mm-hmm. The next largest group being 2012, so pretty early on, and the next next largest being 2013. And apparently most fans from that same survey, uh, 62% of respondents, started in A Song of Ice and Fire via the TV show. Mm. So I guess a pretty common experience. Estimating the size of the fandom is always hard, but if you go by book purchases, it's somewhere between 60 million, assuming every book purchase is a fan, uh, and 4 million, which was one of the averages or highs of number of people watching the episodes on HBO or downloading it. That seems small. Like 4 million for the show. Uh, I think that was just broadcast views of a particular episode. Because hmm. I think the, I, yeah, the okay. season 6 finale had 9 million views. Okay. Yeah, so. Definitely does not take piracy into account. <laughs> oh, definitely not. Yeah, it definitely crossed the, it was a couple of seasons in where it crossed the pop culture kind of boundary where it could be referred to on other shows. I think around the Red Wedding probably is when it was referred to everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, that hit and everyone was losing their minds. <laughs> the people who had read the book were smugly watching everyone lose their minds and losing their minds over people losing their minds. And then it kind of <laughs> managed to permeate out into this thing's for real, you guys. What else? There's like a lot of facts, but I'm not going to go through all of them. So have all you guys read the books then? Or any of you just still show only? I don't know about G&Z. I'm probably the only one of us that's just watched the TV show. I've read all the books and a couple of the ancillary books. I've done both, um, but I've only read the main series of books. Yeah, most of our listeners uh, have gone to the books at some point. There's a bit of a divide there. Not, not a huge one, but if you really want to... Uh, get at least my point of view get a full grasp of the world you have to go to the book material it's just it's far more in depth than the show i mean no show can really match the source book material it's just this nature of the medium 
Yeah. It, it's insane. Yeah. The books are like in, in their in their detail and the sheer volume of characters. <laughs> if you like food, that's good. You'll be able to hear there's actually a cookbook, yeah. uh, Feast of Ice and Fire. I don't know if you saw the slides. I sent you to show some of the products there in this fandom. It's a funny little anecdote. Uh, one year for Christmas, I <laughs> bought a, a Feast of Ice and Fire. I'm like, this will be a great gift for... I forget who it was. I think it was Yuji. Maybe it was you. I think I think it was me. Probably me. It might have been both of us. I don't know. It was one of the two of you. And as it turns out, they had bought a copy of the book for me. <laughs> And I received another <laughs> copy of the book from somebody else. It was a very popular item. <laughs> but you actually have to be able to cook, too. It's not a simple book. It's pretty advanced in the recipes. Yeah. Well, they'll give you the modern version. They'll give you, like, how they actually did it, like, back then, mm-hmm. which is the real challenge. <laughs> oh, my goodness. From that same survey, because we were talking about the books in the TV show, most fans like the books more, uh, 64% of respondents. Mm. Or thought that it was equally good, about 30% of respondents. So, like, most people either thought it was as good or better. 83% of fans think the show does a good job of adapting the books. And what I found most interesting of all the different stats that it had, apparently the fandom is incredibly split as to how bothered they are about the show overtaking the books. (laughs) Really? Yeah, it was like 47 percent in favor like 44 percent against and then like wow. a narrow margin of like a... <laughs> huh well that's that, that question we actually had talked about a few years ago when it was projected that this would happen and i think it's just a lot of people that start with the books may have enjoyed the tv show i mean i enjoyed it but we wanted to finish the series with the books and did not want to be spoiled by the show mm-hmm. how did you reconcile that with having a podcast that covered both <laughs> well actually because like inevitably yeah you got to cover the show right well one of our listeners just she actually quit the show when before it became popular to quit the show she quit after season one that was one of our uh hosts actually oh, wow. so she doesn't join in on those episodes she just does the book once oh yeah okay uh, right. whereas the rest of us have been every season we've kind of made the decision are we going to watch and then we looked no news of winds of winter okay well i guess i'll, I'll yeah i find that you know i have a friend as well jeremy's like this is like biding my time (laughs) until you know winds of winter really comes out i personally have no problem with it uh overtaking the books i just have a problem that it became less good (laughs) i think those two things go together though when when they run out of materials to adapt oh yeah they, they no longer were adapting and had to create a lot of it and then they're not as good creating if someone had said that to me, if someone was like, you know what, I don't know about this, then overtaking the books, it's not going to be as good. It's going to be like, like, like <laughs> thin. It's going to change the show. I'd be like, you're crazy. They know what they're doing. <laughs> However, I would have had to eat those words. Well, I, that's what I was saying a couple of years ago. So, just saying. Well, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> when also doing the research about the fandom, I came across this thing that I hadn't actually noticed we've talked a bunch on different episodes about how many fanfics a particular fandom has Mm -hmm. Uh, and i realized only this time that by looking on archive of our own which is a common source for fanfic information it also lists like the top numbers of tags for different categories so this time i have a, a couple little fun facts about different data about the fanfics not just how many there are Uh, a song of ice and fire and related fandoms has over twenty-eight thousand fanfics that is not the most we've seen but it's probably up there Mm -hmm. who can guess what the top three characters are in the fanfics sansa maybe um john snow yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay so you want to throw a guess in as well yeah sandor kilgain the hound okay 
So I, I heard Sansa, I heard the Hound, and I heard Jon Snow. Well, uh, you know, as Meatloaf would say, two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> <laughs> out of the 28,000 fanfics, over 12,000 of them have Sansa Stark. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, over 9,000 of them have Jon Snow. But in third place, Arya Stark with over mm-hmm. 6,000. Of course. Oh. Um... Over 9,000. Wow. I was trying very hard not to go there. <laughs> but, you know, you made it happen. I'm surprised uh, neither Daenerys nor Tyrion made the third spot. Yeah. Hmm. That is a trend that continues into the pairings. Top three pairings, Jon and Sansa, oh. Jamie and Brienne, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and Arya and Gendry. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. They are the one true pair to rule over all of Westeros. You can actually see the split between book and show reference, because John Sansa is something that was show influence for a lot of the episodes of the show. I don't think that was big until the show got there. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I remember finding a, an article of somebody had uh, basically scanned and and uh, shared this letter to an editor or something of, of uh, George R. R. Martin's him writing to one of his editors with the idea for the book mm. for the whole series and uh, apparently Arya and John was a couple Arya and John yes in that very early draft there was a lot I mean it's changed hugely it's kind of interesting to see what his original plan was mm-hmm. there was definitely like Tyrion was involved there too there was all kinds yeah of there's like a love triangle there it was really curious since we're talking about kind of like uh, fan fiction and shipping did you see the slides I sent you because we have some artwork related to that uh Oh, oh, man. In the middle, it's going to be entertaining. Da, 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 da. Oh, man. <laughs> I forgot that this is an audio-only podcast. <laughs> yeah. well, I'll descri- um, well, I mean, you can always put a link to it if you want, or I'll oh, describe yeah. it. But there's Brienne and uh, Torment is, is popular from the show. Now that that's part of the artwork reflected there. That is very evident. Brienne in general. But there's creepy. There's Stannis Sansa, for example, and it's represented there. There's Dan uh. San. Like, they have different terms for it, right? So it goes from the, <laughs> the most extreme examples. Do you think with any of them, they come up with the term first? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see what we got. I mean, there's a cute one that has uh, Jamie and Brienne that says, Excuse me, the position of annoying, talkative hot guy has already been filled. <laughs> yeah. That's actually because in the books there's a guy named Heil Hunt who's also kind of vying for Brienne, and mm-hmm. so that Brienne's is in the middle of a lot of love triangles. <laughs> he didn't make it to the show. I guess that's the one of the challenges of any adaptation. It's like how do you, especially one that has so many characters, how mm-hmm. do you take these and make sense of it in a way that people can remember and identify with the different characters? Okay, other little finger. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> None of that. <laughs> I can't remember. It wasn't The Wire. I saw him in something recently, yeah. and I was just very surprised. He's in The Wire. I know. You've mentioned that repeatedly. <laughs> We're talking full spoilers in the show, right? I assume like, we can say anything from the show, or are we avoiding spoilers? I don't think that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just, I'm just saying the, the resolution of Littlefinger's arc was, I found, quite disappointing. It's like, I would have won if it wasn't for you damn kids. <laughs> <laughs> that's very succinctly put, but yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah not quite earning the uh resolution yeah i think i mean the the problem with the last few seasons i mean there's still great things in there and, and in terms of like effects and that kind of stuff gets great battles but it's not only the lack of material but it, i think just like people are getting burned out especially the writers after working on this for years and years like back to back each season you get burned out and i feel like they just want to wrap it up 
Yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. Was quality longer than a lot of shows are. Mm-hmm. Well, I have an interesting last little factoid that might tie into that. I found out that there are a number of different Game of Thrones actors who were not fond of the show. Can anybody what? name one of them? Um, hmm. 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 We're not fond of the show. Yeah, they just didn't love it. Hmm. Lena Hetty. <laughs> Man, I hope that's not the case. Cause... I think uh, Stannis' actor didn't understand his character. I don't know if he disliked the hmm. show. Though. He said he didn't understand what was going on. Okay, yep. That is the quote that I had for Stannis. Uh, the actor is... Stephen Dillon. I'm bad at pronouncing things. He said, I do not regret having done Game of Thrones, but I have nothing to say about it either. I understood neither the series nor its success when I was part of it. The experience was very strange. It passed under my nose. For all like it to me, I must get interested, which was not really the case. I was a bit overwhelmed. Interesting. When asked why he participated at all, he revealed money as the main (laughs) motivating factor. (laughs) Well, I appreciated him as Stannis. I thought he was great. Yeah. I remember Charles Dance, who plays Tywin, was talking about, yep. like, he didn't know anything about it. And a fan who read the books told him how his character dies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Quote from him, some of these people have plunged themselves fully into it with bags full of ephemera and photographs and documentation. And you think, my God, is that the way you spend your life? <laughs> <laughs> Man, oh man. It reminds me of the director of Your Name talking about that he was weirded out that people were seeing it multiple times and things like that. Oh, weird. The other person that I found was Jack Gleason, um, who apparently quit film acting after Game of Thrones. Really? I don't think that was related. I think it. No, but it wasn't for Game of Thrones. I think he just had other stuff he wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. I Sorry, I didn't mean to imply that. It just, I found it interesting that he just happened to quit after Game of Thrones. Oh, wow. From what I can tell, he seems like the nicest guy. <laughs> that must be the worst. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, but his part in Batman Begins was so great. <laughs> yeah, he was in Batman Begins. He was. <laughs> Have you guys uh, ever played the board game before, or is it a Game of Thrones board game? I've heard that it's great, and it's only great with six people. <laughs> yeah, it actually is best with six people for the base game. If there's expansions, you can play it with, with four better mm-hmm. but uh you just play as one of the houses and try to take over westeros basically and it's a lot of fun hmm. i've only heard good things but i haven't had the chance to play it probably because anytime g had mentioned it it's like well we don't have six players <laughs> that makes me hesitant about the cost investment <laughs> not that the game says that it can only be played with six i've just heard that it's not like very fun unless you have six mm-hmm. six is where the game is balanced yeah i think so that's all that I had for fandom facts. Um, do we want to revisit some possibly stupid things we said last episode? I know that I do. Yeah, okay. Mm, sure. I'm going to jump the queue and come up with my question because uh, I want to ask Amin about it as well. Sure. So we have a segment called Famous Last Words where we try to ask a question without doing the research for the next episode. So last episode I had asked, uh, as rated by fans, what is the most delicious recipe in A Feast of Ice and Fire? So I'm going to start. Amin, what is your favorite recipe from that book? Uh, we've made the lemon cakes before, and they, they were pretty hmm. good. So I guess I'll put lemon cakes in there. Yeah. Lemon cakes. Okay. Well, that is the most conclusive information <laughs> that I could find. Uh, I did do some internet sleuthing. I found there, uh, I think the authors of the book uh, have a website in at the crossroads. Yes. Mm-hmm. And doing some internet sleuthing, I found out that the most shared 
recipe was northern cheesy oats. Hmm. <laughs> I'm interested. <laughs> That's because they don't have fray pie in there. They should <laughs> I was going to say, got to be lamprey pie, right? <laughs> or fray pie, That's is what, that what you said? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's what you said last episode. Um, followed by Winterfell roasted chestnuts and brandy. Mm-hmm. Followed by Panfort. Those are the top three shared. I was really hoping somebody had undertaken like a rating, but nope, didn't happen. <laughs> Do they have the pigeon pie that Joffrey had at his <laughs> his wedding? I didn't check. And I don't have the book at hand. <laughs> Gee, your uh, famous last words were, why is, uh, oh, I wrote this very badly. Why is popular baby name that came out of Whoa. Game of Thrones? <laughs> oh, I, I know that one, I think. Can I guess at it? Or, yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, this is, one, this is one that it shouldn't be, but people, they think that, that baby's Khaleesi. Is that, is that the one? Or? That, my, that was my, I'm like, why Khaleesi and not Daenerys? Because they think mm-hmm. her, her name's Khaleesi. <laughs> <laughs> Arya as well, I think, is popular. Yeah, Arya is popular. There's a couple Tyrions. Yeah, some Jamies as well. Even a few Theons, mm-hmm. surprisingly. But I must have looked at 10 to 12 articles on this subject. <laughs> However, none of them could tell me why people chose the name Khaleesi. They even had people being like, man, it's silly that people are calling their baby Khaleesi and not Daenerys. But <laughs> like, I couldn't find any reason why <laughs> at all. Oh, you mean why they're confused that it's Khaleesi? Or... No, like, why that's the popular name. Choose that particular name, yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's like, oh, I, I really admire Queen Elizabeth. I'm going to tell my call my daughter Queen. <laughs> Queen Latifah. With all respect to Queen Latifah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's uh, very confusing. Um, it's in, like, what's this? It's in, like, the top 50 or something like that of Yuga. What? If you're going to give your kid a fantasy or a sci-fi name, put it as their middle name, at least. Then they can choose it whether they use it. Yeah, keep it low key. Those fans of Star Wars name their kids Luke. You know, that's yeah, it's all good. Well, Khaleesi could be shortened to like Lise, Kali, Lisa, Lisa, Kali. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but Daenerys is you know Danny. That's it's yeah. in the show. Yeah, Danny's a good name. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Oh my goodness. And Z, your famous last words were: Have fans tried to make up supplemental material? And pass it off as real Game of Thrones work. I didn't exactly know where to start with this. Yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> but what I what I tried to go to was uh, the prophecy wrote. You know, prophecies are very vague and general, generic. You know, they don't really work until they sort of start to happen. But even though perhaps with more digging, I might have found like a little ingot of gold. I was not able to find anything conclusive going down the prophecy branch of things. It's just a lot of people discussing prophecy saying, oh, you know, like this king's trying to bring it about by doing this, this, and this. I did find out that uh, there's some discussion in the fandom of sort of what characters think of prophecy. Like, do they sort of realize that it's fake or generic or, you know, not very helpful? And the most interesting thing that I found there was somebody referring to something a character said about magic being like a sword with no hilt. Interesting. Yeah, and that prophecy and magic are similar in that way. So ultimately, I don't really know if there was ever any uh, any controversy about fans creating content. There was a little bit of controversy around uh, the two runners of Westeros.org helping uh, George R. R. Martin with the world of A Song of Ice and Fire 
I hope I'm getting the title of that book right, but that's more of a more of a fandom thing than necessarily people whole cloth making something up and trying to pass it off as as legit. Phil, you're looking for it's like five pages released from Winds of Winter turned out to be written by this guy or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, like that's very black and white, and like that person is clearly trying to pretend to be George Armour. <laughs> but but on the whole, very disappointing set of famous last words. Essentially, but I, I do I did want to I did want to ask. I don't know if if you've heard of anything like that happening at all. I'm in. Uh, no, I mean, in terms of passing things off as your own, uh, like a fake material, no, mm-hmm. but, but you kind of touch, in terms of just, like, coming up with theories and trying to predict what will happen, that's quite common, that's, that's oh, a yeah. big part of the fandom, including uh, prophecies, trying to predict what would this prophecy mean. Yes, that's big, but people don't make up, uh, like, fake, they don't try to make, like, fake material, they just try yeah. to predict it before it happens and claim it. <laughs> Say, hey, I, I got that. First. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but people like they really look into everything George says. Like somebody asked George years and years ago, like are Rhaegar's kids definitely dead? And he said like that his daughter is definitely dead, and that's all he said. And then from that, people thought, oh, his son Aegon must be alive. Hmm. Shows up in the fifth book, and it's like finally did. He finally did show up, but it was just that one question that set off that whole theory. Huh. One of the plots I was looking forward to. <laughs> <laughs> but never mind. If I was to read into your comment and. To what you didn't say, I might guess that you didn't enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> well, he shows up as a character, but whether he actually is that character that he claims to be is not a question. That, that's the beauty of the books, right? You, you, yeah. you have to really look at different points of view and look at the evidence. and It's, it's unclear a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think it's good to transition to the why. Why? Because I think one of the things that is very appealing of Game of Thrones or A Song of Ice and Fire is that it deliberately tries to make judgment difficult for the viewer. Like, it's not Lord of the Rings. It's not like, these are the good guys, these are the bad guys. Like, each side has people you like and people you don't like. I think that drew people in very quickly because it feels new in popular genre fiction. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Everybody applause. That's it there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, a lot of the way you, the books are described is Martin coming up with a lot of good characters and then just putting them into play. Like interesting characters, well-developed characters, and then seeing what the interaction between them. Yeah. I was going to say that it's like clearly one of the reasons it was successful based on what G was saying is, you know, having these characters that have some moral ambiguity to them. Because, you know, there was just that period in media history where, you know, morally ambiguous characters were super interesting like the wire and etc but then i was reminded that the books were written starting in like the first book was published in 96 so that (laughs) that theory doesn't hold any water (laughs) i mean that that might apply to the tv show and how they characterize people but not not to the books (laughs) i feel like the closest comparison at hand to game of thrones is lord of the rings yeah both in movies and books yeah i mean speaking of fantasy in general even maybe a little less so now but even to this day, I would say that for the most part, epic fantasy especially still has fairly black and white characters. I mean, if you look at a lot of uh, of the more recent fan- works of fantasy, you see a lot of uh, authors working against that. Mm-hmm. But it was definitely a trend, I think, in, uh, in fantasy for a lot longer than in TV. Yeah, and it's like, I, I, f- I feel like for a lot of people using TV, but I think I think it's the same, more or less the same with books. It's like there hasn't been one as big as mm-hmm. Game of Thrones since Lord of the Rings. They're both trendsetters, yeah. And then people yeah. imitate them in other works. Like they, they, they have yeah. 
it was like i'll go into chapters or whatever and flip through some books they would like and i feel like for the longest time every sci-fi book i opened it was like they read douglas adams <laughs> i could just see douglas adams and i'm like okay i'm done but yeah because it's like lord of the rings is is pretty black and white these are the good guys these are the evil guys the quality of someone's character is directly tied to their fate in lord of the rings if you are if you are a good person, you're rewarded. Kind of mm-hmm. Whereas in Game of Thrones, forget that. <laughs> good people die all the time. Bad people die too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone's game. <laughs> I'm gonna just go on record dangerously as saying I'm not a big fan of Game of Thrones. I don't mean to say that I don't like it. I just mean that like I'm not a fan in the sense that maybe you G or you and men are so what i was going to ask is what got you into game of thrones what was it that that got you hooked i had always just liked epic fantasy in general although after reading this series it kind of killed my interest in <laughs> most epic fantasy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it just sets such a high standard it's just the characters are so interesting and the the level of detail that martin puts into the books every reread you you do you just get more out of it and the, the community has really delved into it and uh sustain my interest over time as well uh the community like there's there's actually a convention uh, that happens every year uh, ice and fire convention and just the people you meet that are involved in it uh, has sustained my interest but the initial interest which is the works themselves are just so in-depth and the tv show while good like i don't i don't re-watch the tv show i just watch it once and then i review it i don't have an interest to if it was just a tv show i think i would also lose interest but it's just the book material is so in-depth well being for myself i like you know, the idea of fantasy. There's not actually an awful lot of fantasy that I consume, to be quite honest. But, you know, I enjoy Lord of the Rings and whatnot. I don't know. I'm, I'm down for a big fantasy series. HBO usually makes good stuff. It started with the show for me. I was getting into it. Like, it moves at a much slower pace than a lot of genre fiction. And I was, like, kind of sucked in by that. I, I literally had to have a family tree open <laughs> on my computer while I was watching it. Because people wouldn't respond to each other. Yes, Jamie. Yes, sir. Like all the time, obviously. <laughs> people would say cousin and brother and uncle a lot. Mm-hmm. Or nothing at all. And then I'd be like, okay, wait. Who's, can, can. Once I got a handle of that, I was into it. I love shows with ensemble casts. Like having that big cast and being in a world. But, and I think this was the hook for a lot of people. Ned Stark dies. Hmm. It is a narrative risk. That, like, from all intents and purposes, the promotion of the first season, it was built around Sean Bean and Ned Stark. Mm -hmm. He is the main character. And the show played it that way for nine episodes. Yep. But then, boom, he's gone. And and I was like, you can't just kill off your main (laughs) character in the first season. (laughs) Not not that Ned was my favorite character or anything like that. I was intrigued to see where it went. But the fact that the story was willing to do something like that made me excited to see what else it would do. Yeah. I got into it through the books. I was actually turned on to it um, by by Holly, I think, uh, one of our mutual friends. And um, that was a, definitely a big part of it for me, just the fact that at the end, this guy who was pretty much the main character, like the the moral lodestone of all the characters, who, you, you know, in fantasy is usually the end-all, be-all good guy who just gets everything done, dies. And, and also... I was, for the first maybe two or three books, every time that uh, the ancestral sword Ice was brought up, I was like, oh man, what's going to happen to Ice? (laughs) (laughs) 
And then you found yep. out. Got put to good use. Oh, I'll heap on top of that. He did not die in a heroic or noble way. No. Mm. Like, it was kind of yeah, terrible. there was no sacrifice or anything? He didn't, like, uh, jump out in front of an arrow or something? Or No. That's a good point. I had forgotten about that. Uh, especially the show, I think, in particular, really played it up even more than the books. Because they knew what was coming. But people then sometimes leap too far and then say, well, like, Ned was a complete idiot, and like you have to be like bad in this world to succeed. And I don't think that's the case. I think he was just out of his element in the South. He was a very competent ruler in the mm-hmm. North. And if you look at the books, his legacy versus Tywin's is far better. People are still fighting for his legacy. People have abandoned Tywin's entirely. So yeah, that's true. And, that, and that's with people say that in hindsight, mm. having consumed a bunch more of it. But like you know, you're you're like he's he's as he said, your protagonist. He's a good guy. He's honorable, right? And he gets just a crappy death. And, and that's fascinating. Yeah. This may be a, a naive opinion of, of uh, the uninitiated, I guess. But as a person who watched the TV show, I often found it interesting. And I'm sure this is not unique to that adaptation. But the amount of, I don't want to say inappropriateness, but like it's a very different narrative than I'm used to seeing in a visual medium, right? Like there's lots of swearing, there's lots of violence, there's lots of nudity, may or may not serve the plot in any particular instance. Uh, I read an article that said, for example, that over the course of the show, one person estimated that there's over 150,000 deaths. Oh my goodness. Like it's it's murder on a Hmm. massive scale. And I'm not sure that that's a key component or a necessary component to being a fan of the show, but I think that the narrative does things that are like a heresy in other instances, like taking the good guy and murdering him in the first uh, season of the show or, or during whatever time period that happens in the book. I think that unique, surprising unexpectedness is an element that, that draws people in as well. Yeah, no one's got plot armor on. Anyone can die. Will the villains get their comeuppance? They might not. Yeah. That kind of thing. And that will bring you out. Plot armor has since been attached to a few characters <laughs> in this show when it's gone on. But, yeah. uh... <laughs> They've been deceptive about it, especially in the books, both on the show. Like, they trick you a little bit with the deaths of some characters to make you think anyone can die, but some still need to be preserved just for the point of the story. Kill everybody off, and you just can have no story. Yeah. Yeah, I remember there's one chapter where it's like Tyrion basically drowns, and then there's another <laughs> Tyrion chapter where it turns out he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> like okay, <laughs> I think that's the way they played it in the in the show too. But yeah, it's not. I gotta watch the end to see the villain get their comeuppance. It's like, will they? Maybe they'll just win. Yeah, and sit on the Iron Throne. Yeah, there's that. There's also, you know, will my favorite character make it to the end? <laughs> the answer, yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Somebody had shown me at some point this. Um, people had made a, a map app where you could go and chapter by chapter in the book or like episode by episode in the show, see the journeys of the various characters across the world. And uh, I mistakenly had looked through that before having seen very much or any of the show. Oh. (laughs) Uh, So I saw somebody die and then not be dead. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Man, that guy's really moving. Well, I mean, there's a couple of characters that can fit that uh, description. Awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. being deliberately vague. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> but like, that took some amount of dedication, right? Like, uh, I don't see people going out and making like the world of ooh, like an animated map. I mean, that might be harder to do because it's less. Um, I feel like 
they're deliberately like it's not easy to have a map of who <laughs> no i i know that's why yeah. that was a bad example but yeah. no, I, no, like, no i get it there's definitely people who are very passionate about like the curative side of things like the you taking the world and knowing everything about it like writing and understanding the history the politics how the magic and religion all of that lore how it all fits together oh i love that stuff so much <laughs> <laughs> well in the back of the books it's got a list of all the houses yeah and like who's in the houses and who's related to who yeah and i read every name <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right if, if you get really serious you start reading through there and i've come up with theories just from reading through the appendix <laughs> man yeah hidden information if you will mm-hmm. but you've also got the novellas on the side right i mean mm-hmm. um i remember hearing uh you and the uh podcast of ice and fire crew discussing uh, i think the most recent one on i think your second most recent uh podcast episode there i'm in and like oh yeah the the uh, no it's the Son- sons of the dragon yeah. sons of the dragon the book of swords that's martin has two kind of main uh branches there he has mm-hmm. like these kind of targaryen histories that he publishes uh, every once in a while and then he has a whole kind of like set of short stories about certain characters about 100 years ago uh, and their lives mm. so th- those are two different branches that he produces yeah. okay okay perhaps they will be one of the four series commissioned by hbo for <laughs> one of those might be yeah like they're, they're, they're definitely looking at it yeah. oh man but yeah i mean like that uh hunger for the lore is definitely being fed by you know official sources those two branches and unofficial sources all the all the fan theories and like mm. all the discussion of what might happen or oh, if you're talking about the show perhaps how things should have happened true well let me let me just throw one theory at you uh, mm-hmm. and see Ooh. what you what you think because there's i mean there's hundreds but one that's been growing in popularity and i don't like even though it's probably true like i don't like the consequence of it I like the I like the evidence for it. Is 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 Tyrion is a Targaryen? Mm. Have you have you heard of that one? Have. Yeah, I don't like it either. No, <laughs> I think it ruins his relationship with Tywin in a way. I mean, they had a bad relationship, but it ruins like their connection. And I'd rather not it not be true. But the evidence is growing. I have a slide in it actually, what I sent you. Well, I mean, not to get too far into the weeds, uh, if we can help it, <laughs> <laughs> is is the theory that he is like. 100% Targaryen or only Targaryen on like his dad's side or something yeah on his dad's side okay. like his mother would still be doing a Lannister but yeah. uh, the Mad King was his father is, is the idea hmm. I mean it does... <laughs> <laughs> I can hear the gears turning yeah <laughs> hear those weeds um, biologically you know sure that would mean that Tywin's not his father but like it's it would be a a situation much like if you adopted somebody when they were, you know, two. Yes. You're not technically their father, but you're their father. Yeah, so. his character is influenced by his father and his mentality, but still, I don't like it because his father did doubt his own parentage. Mm. And then I don't want him to be correct on that. I don't want him to be wrong. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. that's a little bit less interesting from a storytelling perspective, too, right? Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, surprise, the runt of the litter, the, the strange son was adopted oh no <laughs> another targaryen like we have so many secret targaryens it's like... <laughs> i don't know what the evidence for there is if there is much at all but narratively i like jamie and cersei are targaryens hmm. and Tyrion is tywin's only son yeah i mean that w- that was a theory uh. for a while as well it seems to have died out compared to Tyrion. Tyrion yeah. i prefer that one more i mean like when cersei is like crazy behavior a bit <laughs> more but <laughs> yeah she likes to burn i think it was like, I've been on some forums 
in my day talking about Game of Thrones. Just scroll through posts to be like, oh my god. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> you know, that scene in The Usual Suspects <laughs> where he looks at all the pieces of the room and he puts together, oh my god. I've had that happen like five times on a page <laughs> on a forum, right? But like, I think it was Dan Harmon said that fandom on the internet is like a processing farm. Like every conceivable possible outcome is out there. Mm-hmm. People put all the puzzle pieces together in different ways. And that's the only thing that keeps it from being like, oh, I guess that's what happens. No need to read Winds of Winter now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is the difference of having the books now, say like they're 20 years ago or I mean, when they started or even more. Like people have solved so many of these theories, like the more easier ones that you wouldn't normally, you'd get like one in a hundred and you read it for yourself, talk with your friends. Yeah. Uh, was there a point in the book series where that, that the theories kind of started to ramp up? Yeah, by the third book, into the mid-2000s, especially, and by the fourth book. And like, the John's parentage, for example, that was clearly known for a long time. That was, like, your theory of gravity. Like, it was so <laughs> well-developed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. What was it like being a fan of the book series before it became popular? Because usually on the show, we don't have fans who, like, were fans of the thing before it was a thing. It was always the thing. Uh, but we, we don't usually have people who were, like, in on the ground floor so to speak hmm. yeah and it's just interesting to see like the difference in you know how people celebrate the the book series then versus now so i got into it in 2000 just before the third book came out and there then it was just a word of mouth thing that's like I, my friend recommended it to me and i would recommend it to friends and you know the books are good so it was spreading in that way i feel the book would have become popular over time the show just hyper accelerated you know 20 30 years faster i think 20 or 30 years online it would have got to the point it is now just from book wise uh, mm-hmm. But it was different. Like there, the, the the board game is actually quite old. It's since 2003, I think, the board game. So people were oh, playing wow. the board game. The card game was a couple of years after, I think, or even at the same time. People were playing with a lot of the products back then. Those creators had to have read it as well. So it was spreading slowly by word of mouth. But it was definitely, when you met a fan, you were excited. You're like, oh, another fan. Whereas now it's like pretty much anyone who's a Game of Thrones fan randomly meet them or at least knows of it, right? Yeah. So let me put it this way. Ten years ago when I was in a date, I never mentioned it. Now I mention it all the time. So that's that's a big thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like first thing. Do you like Game of Thrones? No, this date yeah. is over. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you use the word Khaleesi or do you use the word Danny? I mean, that's yeah, good... <laughs> that's, that's really, that's that's really question there. number one. So I was talking earlier about, um, you know, it's quite the ensemble getting smaller as we speak, but it's still a pretty big ensemble show. And that's one of the things that, that I love. They're not all a team, but, you know, I like a, a broad swath. And the show is like, I don't know, a third, a quarter of the characters that are in the book, maybe? Not even that, to be honest. Probably like a tenth. <laughs> the tenth. Yeah. It's very immersive, having that many characters. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of authors would go insane to have that many characters, which is why you don't often see it. But, like, it feels like it could stretch on forever. Like, the world when you're reading it it's like you're you're really interacting with this thing and i remember the exact character that was uh, one too many in the jar that was like i pushed into my brain and it popped back out of my brain and i was like <laughs> i can't remember any more characters names and that was lyle Craycall. <laughs> uh, i don't know what that guy's deal is so he showed up in a brian chapter it was at that point i was like i, I can't remember any more people <laughs> i hope you do something important <laughs> Everyone likes having a favorite, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. If you're a cool, edgy guy like me, it's nowhere near any of the main characters. So who is it? Oh, um, 
Mm, probably Theon or Stannis. Oh, hmm. Stannis is, must be from the books. Because Stannis actually is, is, is growing in popularity over time, but only book Stannis, I think. For the most. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I liked him in the show. I thought he was good. I'm, I'm going to be honest here. When I read the books, I picture the actors from, from the TV show. <laughs> That's oh, pretty man. common, actually. <laughs> People often <laughs> do that. Don't even get me started back on that that'll <laughs> kick. So, for the longest time, I'm, uh, I'm going to let I'm in, in on this as well. Uh, for the longest time, when I started to to collect the books, it was right around the time when the series was starting to ramp up. I think season one had just come out or was about to come out. So all the all the books covers were being rebranded. So they had that stamp now an HBO series. <laughs> yeah, there we go. And so like I I think I'd gotten as far as a Storm of Swords. And I was really adamant because up to then, all of my covers were HBO stamp free. <laughs> really, really adamant to keep it that way. But I, I just had to break down because I could not find them yeah. for a reasonable price otherwise. There, there's a happy consolation yeah. ending to that story. In that we were in Baca Phoenix Books in Toronto. Oh, yeah. And we found, I hadn't started buying the series yet. I bought the first book and Z bought A Feast for Crows and they were both signed. By uh, yeah. George R. Martin. Wow. Yeah, that was cool. I remember I got uh, Feast for Crows signed from George when it came out. He came by for a book tour. At that point, he still did a lot of book tours. So he went and got him signed, which is nice. Cool. Is there a lot of open berating of George Martin whenever he is seen doing a thing that's not writing books? <laughs> no, people are pretty respectful at the at, at the event. Although he just gets swarmed by fans in general because yeah. he's just so noticeable. Uh, like he can't, he stands out <laughs> in a crowd, right? I don't mean in person. Yeah. I just mean like, ah, what's he doing going to a football game? Or... <laughs> Why does he have a life? He's in here, my slave? <laughs> like in misery? can I have a misery situation with him? Or what? Oh my goodness. <laughs> it, people take it too far. I mean, like, it, I don't know if we were going to talk about like this, why the books have been delayed or that state of the fandom at some point. Do you want to get into that? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think it. so. Sure. I mean, I think, I think it really is just, it, there's, he's juggling so many balls in the air and it's difficult for him to to write it and, and, and that's has put him into a writer's block imagine I mean, we've all been in a writer's block even if it's just been for an assignment or something something you just don't want to do you go do anything else like you'll find anything else as an excuse to do it <laughs> and and i think he's in that state let alone the pressure of expectation yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well uh, i found it particularly interesting going back to that uh, letter that he wrote to an editor outlining the original three book series that uh, would have been a song of ice and fire <laughs> in 1993. Um, he just out and out says, "I don't outline things. When I know how things are going to end, I lose interest." Oh, so I wonder if if that's part of it as well. Huh. Well, that's why he also pumps out like these side histories so easily because he can just focus on that, and then he's not constrained, and he can just he can write at a really fast rate when he does. But he just mm-hmm. the main series is just clogged up right now. So, but it, the fact that it is clogged up has at the moment has made the book fandom popular because you can talk about these theories and as things before they're just resolved yeah so it's not that bad but i mean it would be nice for it to finish because it's his masterpiece that's the other thing this is not his first work when i first read them i thought this was his first work but he's written for decades in science fiction mm-hmm. and other areas so he, this is like his masterpiece that he's got to at this point he's like got his writing up to that top level yeah yeah so he's probably afraid of any part of it uh letting down mm. But, I mean, he's released a lot of it, a lot of Winds of Winter, hasn't he? He has. I think he stopped, uh, even in terms of spoiler chapters, he's stopped doing that for now. And I prefer that he stopped. I don't want to read it like 
spoon fed like a baby. I want my <laughs> full meal. Thank you very much. <laughs> How much of the fandom do you think is about coming up with theories that are later proven right? So people sort of have bragging rights to say, oh, I got that right. <laughs> I'd say probably 30% of it at least. Like uh, the actual oh, wow. not, not just the bragging the right. You might just do it for fun. You don't care. You know <laughs> it's wrong, but you come up with crazy theories like <laughs> for fun. Some elements of it are true and some are false, but 30% of the activities are probably uh, theory crafting and discussions and then 30% fan fiction, I suppose, <laughs> for shipping. And then yeah. 30% is just like, you know, cosplaying and other activities. Do you have a, a crazy theory that you're pretty sure is wrong, but you just <laughs> love it anyway? <laughs> I'll mention a few, th- I mean, that I didn't come up with. I mean, there's, there's one people talked about where Tyrion is a time-traveling fetus. Is it? <laughs> 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 I like that a lot. <laughs> but, but it's too much to get into, but, uh, but what's interesting about it is actually it, it takes from other theories that are likely to happen and then puts them together for that one where it's not likely to happen. <laughs> so even though this one is stupid, like a lot of the other theories, if you look at them, make more sense. But it's like it's like Oakham's razor. Like Why would you come to this theory when the other one's better, <laughs> right? So, but I actually have a theory that I came up with that I think is true. Like I just came up from reading the appendix and from thinking about it. Do you know um, Jenna Lannister? you guys know that she's Tywin's sister okay yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that one of her sons is not actually like is an illegitimate bastard it's not her husband's because he's he's described a certain way like I think it's described Redwalder in the, in the appendix and then Jamie hints that that she might have been unfaithful to her husband but nobody dares bring it up because <laughs> she's such a badass so I think that that fourth son is not his it's somebody else's Redwalder and he looks different he has red hair is my theory. Oh, so you can you can really zoom in and just do like do little mini theories, or you can do massive theories of everything, like what's going to happen, blah blah blah. It's popular. That's that's a big part of the fandom for sure because the works are written in a way where you can do it. Like George encourages that. So yeah, it's it's interesting that he encourages theories, but at least at first uh, discouraged <laughs> fan fiction. Wait, what? Well, the fan fiction is part of the legal aspect. I think he probably mm. internally doesn't care, but he has to at least say he doesn't like it. To to maintain his legal rights. Right. Oh, gotcha. But ultimately, if you just do it and not shove it in his face, well, he's not going to do anything about it, right? But <laughs> if you start trying to sell it or something, he's got to counteract that. Yeah. It also strikes me as a little <laughs> interesting um, yeah. about the fandom that uh, apparently, um, as of September or as of 2011, Archive of Our Own only had about 200 pieces of fan fiction relating to A Song of Ice and Fire. And then it wasn't until the show came along that that number just exploded. Mm. Well, not only did it get more people, but I think the show might have relaxed some of the fanfiction rules. Like, because you could say, this is show fanfiction, not books. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Have you guys ever gone to the Game of Thrones experience or heard of that? The travels around it. No. I remember it being in Toronto, but I never, yeah. never made it. Get to go on the throne, get your photo, and see various <laughs> items. <laughs> cool. But every year it's actually at, it's set up at Comic-Con San Diego, and people wait, like, it's ridiculous, like, the whole friggin' day just to get into that thing. Which I wouldn't do. I just get in with the press pass, which is nice. I wouldn't wait that long. <laughs> well, yeah. You just shove it in everyone's face and sit on the throne in front of them. <laughs> well, we have a special press hours that you get to go in, which is awesome. You actually get to like look around properly. Oh wow! Not be stampeded, uh, like crushed into the throne. <laughs> I mean, I'd I'd heard of a lot of people you know, traveling to Europe to like visit all the various filming locations, but I hadn't heard of the experience. Yeah, it's a big part of Comic-Con, actually. They always have the panel there, and they have various events. And that's what we did of the podcast. We did our own panel there on Game of Thrones and Song of Ice and Fire. And that's where those slides are from that I sent you. 
Yeah, and we'll definitely make sure those end up in the show notes for anybody who's interested in taking a look. I've, I've got another question to throw out there for everybody. You know, we've uh, kind of been drip-fed the, uh, the books. Uh, not so much anymore since uh, George isn't releasing chapters <laughs> so much. Um, but uh, I did come across a, a kind of curious question. What would have happened had all the books been available from the start? Do you think people would have just read them and said, awesome series, and then moved on to the next thing? Or do you think the fandom would be as big as it is? Yeah, some of the thing about, like, you know, what happens when it's done. Yeah, it's essentially the same question, almost mm. like, will, will there still be a fandom after it's done? I think there will be because of the discussions and the analysis, but it'll definitely be smaller. The peak of it is now, then it'll get smaller, but it'll, I think it'll always be just like Lord of the Rings and other major works will be enjoyed by future generations. Mm-hmm. Based on what Amin has said, I would expect it to be a lot smaller because it sounds like a very large part is is piecing together all the hints and that doesn't work when you have pretty much the entire thing. Like there's definitely pieces to fit <laughs> yeah. together, but you, if you've, there's nothing to draw you further in. It's done. It's over. Although he won't answer all the questions as part of it. He'll yeah, answer no, the major true. ones, but many of them will be left open. Yeah. yeah, it could just wind up like Twin Peaks fandom, where you know there are enough mysteries to sustain a few more extra theories here and there and some more uh, delving into the lore and such. I was going to bring it back to coffee and Twin Peaks. See. <laughs> <laughs> Always. <laughs> I'm just waiting for somebody to show up with some coffee in the next book in the winds of winter. <laughs> Somebody bursts into the Great Hall of Winterfell <laughs> with this strange hot brew of a brown bean. It's probably a dragon bean or something. That would be. <laughs> it's like that civet coffee, except instead of a civet, it's a dragon. <laughs> oh, gross. Disgusting. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It would certainly be very, very rare. Might be burnt. I'm pretty sure of that. Dark roast only. Yeah. Ah. Should we move to the verdict? Yeah, all right. So uh, the verdict is the point in the show where we give a little conclusion, a little summary, a little bit of, uh, you know, in or out, how you feel about the fandom. You can kind of take it wherever you like. G.I. will let you show us how it is done, mostly because I am not starting. (laughs) I mean, I feel like it's a complete mystery to most people how I'm going to go in this verdict. Yeah, shocking. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely not typing out the answer right now. (laughs) It's, uh, I'm as far in as can be. I love it. It's like neck and neck with Doctor Who for me. Wow. I can keep going back to it. That keeps being more. And I love reading theories. And now that the show is kind of rolling off the, the page a little bit, I'm definitely up for a reread and really going to pick up Night of the Seven Kingdoms as well. Man, I do have a question for you. Sure. Do you have a suggestion for a non-linear rereading of the books? Um, there's one that's just like, yeah, there's, well, it's linear in the sense of time-wise, the, the chapter's not linear right. in books. People have figured out, uh, the time-wise where you can read it in that order. I think that one's good. I haven't done it that way, actually, but people said if it's good. So I think maybe, yeah, try it out that way. Follow the, the linear order. Because that includes, like, for example, Feast of Crows and Dance Dragons will be merged together for that, right? Right. Chapters will be moved around. So mm-hmm. give that a try, probably, yeah. Okay. Because I know there's, because of the way it's broken up, it's easy to to reread it in different ways which probably reveals some more stuff mm. which I'm going to be looking for 
I've cruised the forums. I've I've read the theories with glee, and uh, and gone back and been like, oh crap, and it's been a long time now. So, um, and I don't reread a lot of books hmm. ever. I have too many books <laughs> sitting that I haven't read at all. Spend a lot of time reading them, but uh, Song of Ice and Fire is definitely one that I will. Cool. All right, I'm gonna roll my random. Uh, nope, I'm just gonna pick them in. Sure. I'm in. What would you say about Game of Thrones as closing thoughts? Just saying, try it out if you haven't already. Like the the show or the books, they're both good. Books are better, so eventually get to the books. But uh, there's just so much there. The the fandom is really a really nice fandom compared to most internet fandoms. It's it's all over the net. It's on Reddit. It's on Westeros. On different mediums, and uh, people are really passionate about it really accepting so i actually have another question for you do you find that there's a lot of people that come into the fandom who are not otherwise fantasy fans yeah i think so because uh martin is good about the way he uses magic he minim- i mean he uses a lot of it but he starts with a low and then moves up there's a lot of fans that would normally be reading fantasy but it might be more science fiction or other genres but they, they enjoy it uh, and martin himself is a master of multiple genres he, he doesn't really see that much distinction between them actually the way he writes so just people coming from all backgrounds now. Hmm. I can follow that. All right. I already disclosed earlier in the episode that maybe I'm not a fan of Game of Thrones, but that doesn't mean I don't find uh, the fans, the history, the politics, the mysteries, all of it incredibly fascinating. It seems like one of those things where were I just a little bit more interested, I would start reading about something on TV Tropes or read a fan theory and then start asking questions by like, oh, who's that? And then read about that. And then, oh, who's this? And then continue delving further and deeper. But as it turns out, I have not crossed that threshold yet. Uh, also, I have limited time, so I'm not sure I will make it around <laughs> to the books. But I would agree with your sentiments that it definitely seems like something that is worth reading and worth watching. But uh, I can't. I, I can't even... <laughs> read the short stories then start with night of the seven kingdoms that's a good place to start to the short all right there have been a couple occasions on the show where people are like are you gonna are you gonna at least watch a little bit of it or read a little bit of it and i was like eh, okay and i did that for some of the things so what was the what was the thing you suggested well it's been put together now as as a night of the, the seven kingdoms but or just the hedge knights there's a graphic novel form or there's a, there's the little novel form so it's in the, it's in the slides yeah you said graphic novel, and that is going to be the hook. magic words. <laughs> yep, I'm getting into that. The Hedge Knight is the first one of graphic novel, and it's pretty good. All right, I found my hook. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Z? All right, Z. I'm also in. I mean, I'm still going to watch the show once the final season comes on. I'm going to read uh, The Winds of Winter eventually. Are you now? Well, I mean, as soon as I can. Also a dream of spring, perhaps. And I think I'm interested enough to get into some of the uh, extra material, like um, A Night of the Seven Kingdoms and those sort of stories. Maybe the Targaryen histories? Maybe? I want it all. But a lot of it comes down to a combination of, you know, limited time, like T was saying, and uh, got a lot of books that I've only touched to take off the shelf at the store, bring to the counter, put in a bag or a backpack, and then shelve and forget. So I've got a lot to read. Oh, man. But I, I will continue to be interested in 
A Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones and what's going on in those universes. All right. Well, taking things from one universe to another, I'm going to shine the spotlight off of Westeros and onto somewhere on the planet Earth. Uh, yeah, well, I'm not great at segues, okay? <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. Oh, thanks, dude. No, not booing the segue. I just like, we're going back to planet oh. Earth. Oh. Yeah, you know it's, I mean? it's a little bit less reality. Don't you remember the uh, the Ed Sheeran cameo we had at the top of the episode? Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say much, but the camera focused on him for a really long time. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The spotlight is part of the show where we try to shine a light on a good cause or an interesting fan project related to the fandom, ideally. Uh, This week, I got the closest I could find that was kind of prominent, and that means the spotlight for this week is the International Rescue Committee, which you can find at feature.rescue.org slash Game of Thrones. Um, the IRC is a charity to help refugees who are displaced to help them recover, uh, from their website, the international rescue committee responds to the world's worst humanitarian crises, helping to restore health, safety, education, economic well-being, and power to people devastated by conflict and disaster. You might be asking whether you're on this podcast with me or listening, what the heck that has to do with game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. And the connection is actually related to the cast of the show. Many of the members of the cast are longtime supporters of the IRC, in particular Lana Headey, uh, who you may know as Cersei Lannister, and Maisie Williams, who is Arya Stark, uh, are longtime supporters of those causes. In fact, uh, I was reading that Lana Headey has been very vocal about um, the IRC's involvement in helping out Syrian refugees. So if you want to help out with a good cause, you should check out International Rescue Committee, feature.rescue.org slash Game of Thrones. But... That is not the only spotlight we are shining. I feel like we've had a candle out the whole episode for it. Uh, And the other spotlight, which I will give the mic over to, uh, is for a podcast of Ice and Fire. Amin, could you tell us a little bit about a podcast of Ice and Fire? Sure. We've been podcasting since uh, March 2008, and uh, we cover both the books and the show. Uh, We do a chapter reread, actually. We're working through Storm of Swords right now. We do like about two chapters, an episode, uh, probably from Clash of Kings is when it gets good. I think we rushed through too many in, <laughs> in Game of Thrones. And we review every mm. everything comes out, like, you know, the Sons of the Dragon or each of the Hedge Knight ones or that kind of stuff. Those are the ones that we do really big episodes on and we read it and then we do a big review of it. And are the ones really worth, like the best ones worth listening to, I think. We are also involved in, in kind of a fun project of our own, which we do uh, drawing uh, the different chapters of the books in MS Paint. Oh, nice. <laughs> We've done Fun. the first two books and have almost finished the third, and it's basically just any any of our listeners that go in our forums can do that. We're at podcastofisofire.com. Uh, we're on Twitter and Facebook and all the and DeviantArt, mostly mediums. We actually all have two kind of uh, side podcasts as well. Uh, one is The Bastards of King's Grave, uh, where we talk about pretty much everything else, like anime or other shows, but from an Ice and Fire perspective. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's the way we, we pitched it. And then we have another podcast called Vassals of Kingsgrave, which was actually made by our listeners. Like we had so many listeners that were interested in joining us. It was hard to get everyone as, as a guest. So they just kind of made their own side podcast where they review the show on the books. But they also talk about other things like other shows and other things in pop culture. And that one is really interesting, Vassals of Kingsgrave, because 
they have uh, podcasters from all over the world on that one. So it's kind of like a, almost like a community radio station is the way they run it. Cool. When you said reviewed the show, I thought you meant reviewed your show. <laughs> I mean, they might they, they reviewed our show sometime probably, but I mean yeah, the TV show mainly. <laughs> they have like three or four different groups reviewing the TV show in different continents. Oh whoa! They have like oh, the wow. North American team, and they have like the Europe team, like the East Asia team, and uh, they're really big on uh, YouTube. Fastest they actually use it a lot more than we do. We're mainly just an audio medium. <laughs> they're mostly audio as well, but they pour it over to YouTube. People like video, I guess. <laughs> hello welcome to the g's uh, curmudgeon podcast you just put like a picture and then that's the full counts like youtube will take that exactly yeah just put your head on brad pitt's body or something i don't know and then, then, then you'll get <laughs> <laughs> i'm writing that down yeah pro podcast tips oh my goodness yeah Speaking of uh, podcasting panel, though, are you yep. guys going to do it again uh, after the next Anime North? Because I'd be up for that. We've actually been trying to figure out, you know, if we want to have like a, a stable of, of panels at the various cons that we're going to. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't intend this to be a plug, but we're going to be at a, a whole bunch of cons next year. Uh, what we're, I don't even remember. It's like one a month until August. <laughs> uh, not necessarily doing panels, but uh, yeah, we'd definitely be. I think we'd be up for doing another podcast panel at Anime North. If they'd let us. Yeah, definitely. For sure. I think they, they would. I mean, they enjoyed the last time. And that's actually something I didn't mention. Is this fandom and fandoms in general, is one of the signs where you get really involved is when you start going to these conventions, right? Like, and you meet the other people and, and you do that. That's one mm-hmm. of the best parts of being in a fandom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those have certainly been, like, the most fun. Because we've done a couple episodes live. And those mm-hmm. have certainly been the most fun to do, I think. You know, like, a back and forth of people listening is, like, at once terrifying, but really fun. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were on the first uh, podcast panel as well, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, first yeah, is, uh, yeah. is uh, uh, nebulous. First. Oh, you were on the... Okay, whatever. You know what? Whatever. First ever. First ever. First in the world. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Go ahead, G. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, if you're interested in listening to another pro podcast, <laughs> uh, go over to iTunes uh, to Phanthropological and hit the subscribe button and please leave a rating or review and let everybody know what we're up to over here. This podcast is Phanthropological, but we are the Knicks cast and you can find us at Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook at the Knicks cast for all of our comings and goings and sittings and playings of, of, of video games with specific regard to YouTube. And you can also find us at uh, patreon.com slash the Knicks cast. If the last few words that you said did not make any sense, uh, patreon.com is a place where you can become a patron of artists that you enjoy. You can help fund the work that they do. Uh, in our case, that would be helping us to fund uh, the Let's Plays, the convention coverage that we do, and this podcast, uh, which you are listening to and sometimes watching online uh, and live streams. Uh, if you want to help us out there, you can go to patreon.com slash the next cast. Even as little as a dollar a month is hugely helpful. And uh, we really appreciate it. You guys release your episodes pretty mm-hmm. regularly, right? Like, is it every week or two? Or it is a machine. Yeah, it's a fine, well-oiled <laughs> machine. It's a, once a week. <laughs> Enjoy that. Eventually, you get burned out of it. Like, we our our, our podcasts are the speed of uh, comparable to George. We're matching George's writing speed for terms of our release. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> thematically, it works. Yeah. <laughs> Our solution is do like 12 episodes in a row and then take like two weeks off. Mm. 
<laughs> yeah. We kind of do seasons. Yeah. Well, you do the, the, the different topics. But that's a big part of it, right? Yeah. If you do the same thing, there's only so much you can do in a row. You need your breaks. But then when you do like uh, other fandoms, then then it's okay. It's, it's it, fresh material. It's a different rabbit hole every time. Yeah. It's a blessing and a curse because it's like <laughs> either you're super interested and you get motivated by that or you just get burned out because every week you're like trying to cram as much information about something you don't know about <laughs> into the podcast. And every week you're doing a topic that's like, this is something someone has like built their life around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what it is. <sighs> so no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, the last thing, and I'm so glad that we have a guest for it because this is also one of my favorite parts of the show, is, we brought it up earlier, Famous Last Words. Famous Last Words. Next week, we will be examining a different fandom. Uh, In this particular case, we will be looking at fans of the Tales of series. Uh, So some examples, Tales of Fantasia, Tales of Zestiria tales of symphonia berseria there's a lot of the games they're like the final fantasy series mm-hmm. yeah of course z picked the tales of series as the topic for this season so he is obviously the expert mm-hmm. on it so our job is to come up with famous last words either a statement or a question or whatever you want to say about tales of fantasia we have had people say whatever uh amen you can either go first or last those are the <laughs> only two choices i'm giving you <laughs> probably go last i don't know anything about this particular kind of Perfect. I will go first because I had no idea what to... Usually I get stuck here and we just go, uh, or, uh, and Z has to edit it out. Uh, so my question, and this is obviously having done no research and why I'm asking it, what is it that ties the games together exactly? And as such, what makes it a fandom? I would ask the exact same question if we were covering Final Fantasy, but we're not. We're covering Tales of Fantasia. So, like, what is it that actually ties all these completely different games together? That is my question. Okay, here we go. I think the popularity of Tales of Fantasia in North America grew out of its inability to get it in North America. (laughs) (laughs) You mean to get a good version in North America? The GBA port's not very good? To get a real version. Okay. All right. Z? Um, Well, as a uh, series of Japanese role-playing games um and to fandom around that i want to know how many fan games are there and which one's the best which one do the fans love the most you mean like fan translations or like no i mean like things people have cobbled together in like rpg maker or just done from scratch in like unity or something crazy like that i want to know if there are any fan games out there tales of fandom maybe or tales of like fania (laughs) sorry to our uk listeners for that last one by the way you have to apologize to me too for it as well i think um uh uh, we'll see about that okay (laughs) all right i don't know if that gave you any additional context yeah that gives me something there sure I'll, i'll ask uh has this fandom gone to other mediums? Like, is there books or artwork or, or you know, anime or other adaptations of it, or is it still games only? That would be my question. Okay, that's actually a great question. None of our yeah. questions sound like that. 
I mean, it it depends, right? Like sometimes we have a really clear laser vision mm-hmm. question. Like we did, um, what was it? The one with the coffee. Why did we were talking about this Twin earlier in this episode? Twin Peaks. We're talking about Brent, Twin Peaks, and somebody asked, like, did Twin Peaks influence donut sales? <laughs> that was me. I asked that. Yeah. The answer is maybe. Uh, yeah, the answer is <laughs> it's usually maybe. Um, excellent. Well, I mean, I, I hope you enjoyed being on the show. We definitely enjoyed having you. Yeah. Uh, it's not often that we have somebody with such a, uh, to kind of use your title, tenured experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I went there. Um, and we really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was a good chat and looking forward to hopefully doing uh, the podcasting panel again next year. Yeah. 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 Right, we'll see you there. Mm-hmm. And we'll see you, the listener. Uh, next time on Phantom Logical. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>